Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Take a look at the class traits of the canines. Discussing form and function first, the canines are succedaneous tooth, meaning that they replace a previous tooth, that it is a successor to another tooth. So it's replacing the deciduous canines in the same position on the permanent dentition. The canines are the remaining anterior teeth that are located just posterior to the incisors. The canines are the third tooth from the midline and serve as the cornerstone to the smile. So think about what you see when someone smiles. You see all of the anterior teeth and that includes the incisors and the canines. The permanent canines have a couple of different terms associated with them. They're also known as the eye teeth. And as with many other aspects of dental terminology in dentistry, there are alternative terms that are associated with the canines. An older term that you may hear is cuspids. And the reason behind this dental term is that the canines only have one cusp tip. And the term canine has been used due to the teeth looking like a dog tooth. So cuspid because it has one cusp tip and canine because of its uh, similar features to a dog-like tooth. So think about the relationship between the dental terms associated with this tooth. The function of the canine is to uh, support the lips and the facial muscles. And this is a direct result of the location of the canine. Because it is just posterior to the incisors and it's a much larger tooth, it has a couple of different functions associated with it. The canines support the incisors and the premolars in their function during the mastication process as well as speech. The design of the canine with having a cusp tip it allows the teeth to cut and to pierce food during the chewing process. And another additional feature of the canine as a class trait is that it is the most stable tooth in the dentition. And this is due to the long root length as well as the size of the tooth. It is the longest permanent tooth in the dentition. And if you were to compare the canines having about a 27 millimeter length versus the maxillary centrals, which have about a 23 and a half millimeter length, and the premolars on the other side of it having about a 22 and a half millimeter length, you can see that it's significantly larger. And this will be really helpful information for you when you enter radiology and you are trying to take pictures of these teeth because you have to get the entire tooth on the image, so you have to make accommodations in how you angle um, and take these pictures because of the long root on this tooth and because of how long it is. So that's an important thing that you'll have to address uh, once you get into radiology. Now, the proximal root concavities that, are, that exist on this, these teeth help to provide an increased periodontal anchorage for these teeth. 
And during the chewing and speaking process of the canines, occlusal movement, I guess is a better way to term it, these teeth act as a guidepost. The canines serve as a protective functional component for the mandible as it does lateral movement back and forth. So similar to other anterior teeth, these canines have an incisal ridge on its masticatory surface. So different from the incisors, it has a cusp tip. And because it has a cusp tip, it creates two cusp slopes or ridges rather than having a straight incisal ridge. Now, important to note, the mesial cusp slope is shorter than the distal cusp slope. And although these slopes can change with attrition, um, according to um, its primary feature when it erupts, it has a shorter mesial cusp slope upon eruption. Now the canines are the only teeth in the dentition with a centrally placed vertical labial ridge. And this ridge uh, development comes from a greater development of that middle labial lobe. So remember, it has four, four developmental lobes. It has three facial lobes and one lingual lobe. So because it develops from four lobes, but yet has a very uh, distinct middle labial lobe, it has this really distinct ridge on the facial aspect. When you're looking at the labial and lingual height of contour, it's located in the cervical third. When you're looking at the proximal height of contour, it's located in the contact areas. So think about form and function. The location of the contact areas facial-lingually is centered, right? Because it's still considered an anterior tooth. Now, on each side of the facial ridge are mesial and distal developmental depressions that exist. Um, and it's important to note that the canines class traits, they typically do not have mammalons that are present but they may have a small notch on either cusp slope. There are, on the lingual aspect of the tooth, there are marginal ridges, and those marginal ridges form the mesial and distal margins. The cingulum is uh, composed of the lingual developmental lobe, and that is on the apical third of the crown. There's a lingual ridge on the lingual aspect of the permanent canine, that extends from the cusp tip all the way to the cingulum. And as a result, there are two lingual fossa. There's a mesial-lingual fossa and a distal-lingual fossa on either side of that lingual ridge. Taking another additional look at the root anatomy class trait of the canines is that there are proximal root concavities on both the mesial and the distal aspects of the root. And because of the size of the root in a facial lingual direction, uh, the root is about one and a half times the length of the crown of the tooth, so it's very, very long. But because of the depth of the tooth facial lingual, it's, uh, the root is oval in shape. And as a result of the size and location of the canine, the size of the root and the location of the canine in the jaw, it's, it's a little labially placed there is a notation, uh, a feature that sh you should note, and that is called the canine eminence. And the canine eminence is described as a prominent bony ridge of alveolar bone that's over the roots. And this can be felt when you are performing your oral cancer screening. 
And it's important to note that it's typically more evident in the maxillary arch just because of the size, shape, and location of that canine. Let's take a look specifically at the permanent maxillary canines. So these would be the arch traits of the maxillary canines. The eruption date is 11 to 12 years of age. And important to note the root completion for this is about 13 to 15 years of age. So it takes a little bit longer for the root completion to occur. And this makes sense if you think about the length of that root and how long it takes for that completion process to happen. It has a single root with a very blunt apex. And we've already discussed that it's the longest root um, of all the teeth, but it's also the longest root in the maxillary arch. Uh, typically, the apical third will often bend towards the distal. And if you're looking at the proximal concavities that exist on the maxillary canine, the distal concavity is typically a little more exaggerated than the mesial concavity. When you're looking at the pulp cavity, it has one pulp canal and one pulp horn. Taking a look at the labial aspect, the crown is almost as long as the maxillary central incisor, but it does have that cusp tip, which is well developed. And that cusp tip is centered in a mesial distal direction. Uh, remember, I did say the mesial cusp slope is shorter than the distal cusp slope as a class trait, and this holds true with the maxillary canines. The mesial crown outline is slightly convex at the contact area, and it becomes nearly flat as you approach the cervical third of the tooth. When you're looking at the distal crown outline, it's more convex in the middle third and slightly concave in the cervical third. And the distal crown outline is shorter than the mesial crown outline because it has that longer distal cusp slope. The labial ridge that exists on the labial aspect of that maxillary canine, it's more prominent in the middle and the incisal third. So as you get to the cervical third, it becomes a little less prominent. And as a result of that labial ridge, there are two developmental depressions, one on either side of that labial ridge. So sometimes you'll see imbrication lines on the labial aspect of the permanent maxillary canine and perichemata, and it's more visible in the cervical third. And like I said earlier on the class traits, there's typically no mammalons present on the canines, and this holds true for the maxillary permanent canine as well. Looking at the lingual aspect, the lingual anatomy is a little more pronounced on the maxillary canine than, it, than you'll see when we get to the mandibular canine. The lingual surface is narrower than the labial surface, and the cingulum is large and centered on the permanent maxillary canine. There are marginal ridges, and they're very prominent. The mesial marginal ridge is a little bit longer than the distal marginal ridge because it has the shorter mesial cusp slope. The lingual ridge is very prominent and there's very deep lingual fossa as a result. And you will see some variations in, in the anatomy of these teeth. Sometimes there'll be a shallow lingual groove and sometimes there'll be a lingual pit that you'll see in a clinical setting. Looking at the proximal aspect of the permanent maxillary canine, the cervical line curvature is greater on the mesial as we learned in form and function. 
the cusp tip is located over or just labial to that root access line. So if you can picture that. The lingual surface is convex at the cingulum and concave at the fossa. Looking at the incisal aspect of the permanent maxillary canine, the labial lingual width is wider than any other anterior tooth, and the labial lingual width is only a half a millimeter wider than it is mesiodistally. Now let's take a look at the permanent mandibular canine arch traits. The eruption date is nine to 10 years of age, with a root completion of about 12 to 14 years. The tooth itself is narrower both labiolingually and mesiodistally when comparing it to the maxillary canine, although the overall length is equal to the maxillary canine. The crown is slightly longer than the maxillary canine, but the root is slightly shorter than the maxillary canine. Looking at that root anatomy a little closer, at the shape and the length, it has a more pointed apex than the maxillary canine, and the apical third may bend both mesially or distally. It has the longest root in the mandibular arch with proximal root concavities present, as we talked about that being a class trait. You may see more pronounced proximal root concavities um, on the mandibular canines than what would be present on the maxillary canines. And an additional feature on the root anatomy to discuss is that there may also be a bifurcated root. This sometimes exists on the permanent mandibular canines. When looking at the pulp cavity, it has one pulp canal, and it may have two pulp canals, lingual and labial, if it's a bifurcated tooth. There might be two pulp canals with one pulp horn present. Looking at the labial aspect of the permanent mandibular canine, the cusp is less developed than on the maxillary canine, and the cusp tip is centered. The mesial cusp slope is still shorter than the distal cusp slope. Remember, that's a class trait. The mesial crown outline is less convex than the maxillary canine, and the distal outline is a little more convex than the mesial and shorter than the mesial, because it has a longer distal cusp slope. That labial ridge is a little less prominent than what you see on the maxillary canine, and as a result, those developmental depressions are also a little less prominent. You will not see imbrication lines and pericamata on the mandibular canines, and no mammalons are evident, but you may see a notch on the cusp slopes. Looking at the lingual anatomy of the permanent mandibular canine, the lingual anatomy is less pronounced than on the maxillary canine, and the surface is narrower than the labial surface. An important thing to note, different than the maxillary canine, is that the cingulum is offset to the distal. Looking at the proximal aspect of the permanent mandibular canines, the cervical line curvature is greater on the mesial, as we learned in form and function, the cusp tip is located lingually to the root access line, and the lingual surface is both convex and concave. Looking at the incisal aspect of the permanent mandibular canine, the facial lingual width is slightly wider than the mesial distal width, so the crown outline is asymmetrical. 
the mesial marginal ridge is longer than the distal because that cingulum is offset to the distal, and that's what makes it have an asymmetrical crown outline. When we're talking about the permanent canines, you have to think about attrition. The anatomy of the crown may be altered by attrition. In normal occlusion, which we'll discuss at another episode, the mesial cusp slope of the maxillary canine occludes with the distal cusp slope of the mandibular canine. And in attrition, the maxillary cusp tip is moved distal of the center and the mandibular cusp tip is moved mesial of center. And you'll see this in different variations and configurations when you are in the clinical setting. Just a little memory tip about the canines. So the maxillary canines have a cingulum that is centered and the opposite is true for the mandibular canines. They are offset towards the distal. So if you know that the maxillary centered, it will give you that memory tip that the mandibular is offset because they're opposite and that is true for all of the anterior teeth. An important thing that I wanted to discuss is that because the maxillary canines erupt long after the incisors and sometimes even after the premolars, the space can sometimes become limiting uh, because the other teeth that have already come into the dentition start hogging the space. So this might cause problems for the canine to come into its rightful position and it may end up being placed labially or lingually to where the ideal space should be. And it may even be partially or unerupted as a result of closure of that space. It's very common that there needs to be intervention for these particular teeth, surgical exposure, ortho intervention, guidance, and uh, interceptive ortho may be needed to assist the canine into its proper position and alignment. Interceptive ortho is commonplace for these specific teeth and should be monitored um, and evaluated by the clinician through the mixed dentition phase. Thanks for joining me today. In the next episode, we're going to introduce the medical history. The medical history is one of those first assessments that you learn how to do in your preclinical rotation. We'll discuss the reasons and the needs for the medical history. We'll review ASA classification and effective communication strategies that will help you build a good rapport and trust with your patients. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.